Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Live Through Jesus podcast with Courtney Gilmore. On this episode, starting out with a win, thanksgiving, and salvation. Numbers 21, 1 through 9, and John 3, 14 to 18. All scripture is read from the New King James Version. Quickly before we get started, if you're new to Live Through Jesus, make sure you go to livethroughjesus.com and sign up to receive your free five-week Bible study over Abraham. There you'll also find blog posts that coincide with the teachings on this podcast and social media links, which is another way to keep in touch throughout the week. Okay, let's get started. Have you ever wondered why Jesus had to die? Like, why God set it up like that in the first place? He could have just made sure that we never sinned and then we would have just lived in paradise with him forever like Adam and Eve. Or he could just forgive us of all of our sins without all the confession and the death and all of that. Then there wouldn't be any hell and so there would no never be any separation for any of us and we'd all live in heaven with him one day. If that's what he wants is for nobody to perish, which is what the Bible says, then why did he set it up like this? If you've ever wondered any of these things like I have, then this lesson should give you a little bit of understanding. But stick with me to the end because, seriously, this is crazy how it works out like this, but on the week of Thanksgiving, this lesson just happens to begin with a reminder uh, to be thankful for the things that we have. So we're going to spend a little bit of time on that in the beginning. And then after that, hopefully we'll get to some of the questions about why God set it up like this. Now, really quick before I read the passage, I just want to remind you that on the last episode, we started following the second generation of Israelites as they began their journey to the promised land. And the fastest way would have been through the land of Edom But that nation wouldn't let them pass through. And so now they're traveling north around Edom. So we're going to start reading the first three verses of Numbers 21. It says, The king of Arad, the Canaanite, who dwelt in the south, heard that Israel was coming on the road to Etherim. Then he fought against Israel, and he took some of them prisoners. So Israel made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I'll utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord listened to the voice of Israel, and they delivered and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities. So the name of that place was called Hormah. Okay, so they're traveling north, and then the king of Arad heard about them, and he came out to fight against them. And when he captured some of their men, then the Israelites immediately looked to God. Just such a relief because they're finally maybe getting it just a little bit. Um, and so they went to God and they promised that if he would give their army over to him, then they wouldn't keep any of the spoils. And instead, they would completely destroy all the people and their cities. And then they went out against the Canaanites, and God responded to their prayer by giving them a complete victory. And then the Israelites did keep their promise, and they totally destroyed the cities, and they left them in complete destruction. And that's why they called this city Hormah, because that means destruction. So 
This victory was God revealing his grace to the Israelites once again because after their fathers had rejected the promised land, God told them to turn back because they weren't going to get the land as their inheritance anymore, if you remember this. But this made them regret their choice, and so they continued forward anyway, and then they were defeated by the Amalekites and the Canaanites, and they were driven all the way back to this place called Hormon. And so now their children received the first victory against the Canaanites at Hormah, which is where their fathers suffered their last defeat. This is a great start for the new generation who was now relying on God and trusting him for their victory when their fathers had done the complete opposite. And I'm sure it was a huge encouragement for them to start out like this. It always feels good to do better when you get a second chance at something, doesn't it? So let's keep reading and we'll get to the Thanksgiving part of it. This is verses 4 through 9. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became very discouraged on their way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take these serpents away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and so it was, if a serpent bit anyone, and he looked at the bronze serpent, then he would live. Okay, so... It was taking the Israelites much longer to go around Edom than it would have to go through it. And now they're getting impatient and they started to complain again. But this time they didn't just complain against Moses. They also complained against God. And it started out with the same thing. They didn't have any water. But now they're also complaining about their food. The only thing is, is that they can't say they didn't have any food because they did. God had provided them with food already. So what they did is they said, we're sick of this food, which I'm sure they were because they've been eating this manna for nearly 40 years. And so anybody would be sick of that, right? But they'd been fine with it last year. And so what had made them start to complain about it now? What I think is that most likely they were fine with it while they were wandering around in the wilderness because they knew that nothing else was going to grow there, right? But now they've started traveling and they probably thought they'd find some food along the way and they wouldn't have to wait until they got to the promised land to eat something different than the manna. But since this land is also uninhabited, there wasn't any food here either. And then when you get your hopes up and nothing changes, it's discouraging. We all get that. But they knew that the land that they were heading to had an abundance of food because they'd already been told that it flowed with milk and honey, and then the spies had brought back a cluster of grapes that was so big it took two men to carry it. So if they would have just held on just a little bit longer, they knew they were going to have more than the manna. 
And honestly, they should have just been happy that God was providing them food at all and not making them starve in the desert or scrounge around for bugs or something. I mean, seriously, how much better can it get to have food just rain down from the sky and all you have to do is just go pick it up and eat it? And also, it tastes like this sweet pastry. So they should have been thankful that even in their punished state, God was providing tasty food for them, even if there was no variety. But they just couldn't seem to get their minds to this place. And I wonder if we're like that too. Sometimes just discontent and not thankful for the things that God's given us because it's not what we want. Even though it's definitely better than what we could we could have without him, it's still not what we want. And so instead of looking at what we don't have, why don't we just look at what we do have because of him? And then maybe also look forward at what we may have in the future if we just hang on just a little bit. It's so easy for us all just to get impatient and wish we had more and forget how much worse it could be without our provider, God, that cares about us. And the thing is, is that some of us really are blessed and the little things that we complain about are nothing in comparison to others. But then others of us really are lacking and we may think we have a good reason to complain. Again, it makes sense to us that the Israelites were complaining because they were sick of this food that they'd had for four decades. Even though it tasted good, their complaints made sense to us and your complaints may make sense too. You may really be in a situation that you're lacking. But also, it probably could be worse for you too. And if you just give it a chance, it'll probably get better also. But instead of being thankful for what we have and hoping towards our goal, most of us do complain. And I just wonder how must this make God feel? Because I think about how it makes me feel whenever I give something to somebody and they're still complaining. It's hurtful when you're taking care of someone and then they're still unhappy. So before we move on to the salvation part of this, I just want us to look at a couple of verses about contentment and thankfulness. Again, especially because it's Thanksgiving, but this actually was just in the lesson to begin with. So this is Matthew six twenty-five all the way to verse 34. And it says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and mammon. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you're going to put on. Is life not more than food and body not more than the clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothes? Consider the lily of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory wasn't arrayed like one of these. 
Now, if God so clothes the grass of the fields, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, don't worry, saying, What do we eat, or what do we drink, or what do we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So we think that food and water and clothes are important, and they obviously are, but more important are the things of God. And so God says to pursue those things first and seek to do what's right in his eyes, and then he'll give us all the other important things. It's just that in pursuing them, we may forget the most important things. But if we pursue him, then he's going to provide the rest for us. So we don't have to worry and we don't have to want for things. God will take care of us. And if we want to strive after something, then it should be after God. Okay, now Philippians 4, 10 through 13 says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked the opportunity. Not that I speak in regard of need, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then skip down to verse 19, and it says, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Jesus Christ. So this is Paul, and he's talking to the church in Philippi. And he says, it makes me happy that you're taking care of me again, although I know that you wanted to take care of me in the first place. You just weren't able. And then he says, although all of it's fine, because I've taught myself to be fine in all circumstances. Paul knows that there's going to be times of lacking, and there's going to be times of abundance, And he's learned that God's going to get him through it no matter what situation he's in. And having God is really the most important thing anyway. So he knows he's going to be okay. He knows God has abundance and he knows that God's going to take care of him. Okay, 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10 says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can take nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we should be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, and drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. So want leads to greed, and greed leads to destruction. And we really have no right to anything anyway. God gave us our life and everything in it, and so we should just be thankful for the life that he's given us, and remember that he loves us and he's taking care of us. Wanting more 
will not only make us discontent with what we have, but it can also make us discontent with him because he's the one that's providing it. And so it might even make us leave the faith because he doesn't give us what we want. And not having him will just cause us additional sorrow, which is what this verse is talking about. Okay, and then Hebrews 13, 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. So coveting is in the Ten Commandments, right? He wants us to be content with what we have and not desire things that belong to somebody else. Because if we have him, then we really have everything that we need. And he's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. He is ours forever, unlike the things of this earth that are here today and gone tomorrow. Okay, and then the last one, 1 Thessalonians five sixteen to 18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Okay, so I spent a lot of time on this because I think that we can relate to their discontentment and it makes sense to us here. And I want to just make sure that we keep the proper perspective, especially during this week of Thanksgiving. But we need to move on now. So um, their continuous complaints and discontentment made God angry. And so he sent these poisonous snakes and some of them died after they were bitten by these snakes. But the Israelites recognized, recognized this as a punishment and they confessed their sin to Moses and also against the Lord. And so they asked Moses to pray to the Lord and ask him to remove the snakes from them. But in response to this prayer, instead of just taking the snakes away, God put their responsibility back onto the people. At his command, Moses made a bronze snake and he lifted it up lifted it up on a pole, and then anyone who was bitten by a poisonous snake could look up at the bronze one, and then they would live. But if somebody was bitten and they didn't look at it, they would die. Now, I want to make sure that you know the bronze snake wasn't a carved image like that the people served and bowed down to like a god. Because remember, God had forbidden this explicitly in the Ten Commandments, uh, the worship of an idol, and the carved images. This instead was just a way to make the people responsible for their own faith and reliance on God. And so if a person wanted to be saved from this poisonous snake bite, then they had to show their faith in God as the one that would save them by looking up at the symbol that he had established for this express purpose. And so if they believed in God for their salvation at that moment, then they would be saved. But if they refused to look at him, then they would die. Listen to what John says about this in John 3, 14 to 18. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. For God didn't send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, 
But he who doesn't believe is condemned already, because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. So John used the salvation of the Israelites, bitten by the poisonous snake, to explain Jesus' future salvation for us. And this is where we get to the explanation of why God set it up like this. Because just like with the Israelites, where he could have removed the snakes and saved their lives without any participation from them, instead he chose only to provide the way for salvation and then make them prove their faith in him to receive it. And that's the same thing that he did for us. He could have just removed our sin and saved our lives without our participation, like I was saying. But instead, he just decided to provide the means for our salvation through Jesus. And then he makes it our responsibility to look to Jesus as our Savior. And so we have that choice, just like the Israelites did. We can humble ourselves and acknowledge our sin and look up to Jesus as our Savior and receive eternal life. Or we can refuse to look up to him and place our trust in him. And then we'll die in our sins and suffer eternal condemnation. It's just the same as the Israelites looking up to the snake or not. Joshua presents the people with this exact same choice in Joshua twenty four fifteen. He says, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, then choose for yourself who you will serve. Whether you will serve the gods of your fathers on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So we can choose to serve him or not. No matter what we've done or how long it takes, we have that choice just like the Israelites. And so if we look to him for salvation, he'll always give it. Listen to what it says in 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. So when we see our need for forgiveness and healing and admit that to God and seek Him, then He's going to hear our prayer and he's going to forgive us and heal us. Okay, Psalm 149.4. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. So he loves us and it makes us happy when we turn to him. He wants a, a relationship with us. That's why it's all set up like this. Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen, For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and revive the heart of the contrite ones. So this just shows us how caring God really is. When we come to him broken, he lifts us up. Okay, Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, 
He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So again, we just see that he wants a relationship with us. He loves us so much that he sent Jesus and then he made us alive together with him, giving us this way to be in heaven with him one day because that's really what he wants. He wants us to seek a relationship with him down here on this earth so that we can have a relationship with him for eternity. Now, 1 John 5, 12 to 13. He who has the Son has life, and he who doesn't have the Son doesn't have life. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So we end again with a choice. If you have the Son, you live eternally. If you don't, then you don't. So... The question that I want to present you with today is, do you have the Son? Do you look up to Him to save your soul? And do you look to Him just when you need help? Have you made the choice to look to Him? If so, then do you live like you made that choice? Going back to the beginning of this, If we have him, then we're rich. We're blessed. We have a reason to be thankful. Even if we don't see any reason to be thankful at this moment in our lives, we know we always have the hope of heaven and we always have the comfort of our Savior. He walks with you in this life and he's working for you. So, This Thanksgiving, with him, if for no other reason, you can be thankful. So I want to leave you with this verse, Psalm 103. It's the whole psalm because it talks about all the reasons that we have to be thankful for him. And one of them is obviously our salvation. So it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. That's a hymn, in case you didn't realize and you weren't singing along with that verse. Verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He hasn't dwelt with us according to our sins or punished us according to our iniquities. So all of those things, just look at all those good things that he does. And then it says the most important thing to be thankful for is that 
He didn't punish us according to our sins. He forgives our sins. He's the one we get to look to for salvation. Verse 11, For as the heavens are as high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards us who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. So what he's saying is, he remembers what we're like. God knows us. As for man, his days are like the grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it's gone, and its place is remembered no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting to those who fear him, and his righteousness to his children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those who remember his commandments and do them. Okay, so I just want to... I want to go back to that real quick where he says, you know, we're we're but dust. We're like the flowers here today and gone tomorrow, like the other verse said. And he says, but my love for you isn't like that. So your time on earth may be short, but your life is not short. You are going to live eternally with me. Okay, verse 19, it says, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you ministers of his, who do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. All the reasons to be thankful for him. Bless him. Thank him. That's what these verses are about. So, enjoy your family this week. Count your blessings. And then next week, we're going to talk about the first set of battles that this new generation faces on their way to the promised land. So, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss that episode. Leave me a five-star review and comments wherever you're listening. You can also find my email at livethroughjesus.com. And if you haven't, go over there and sign up for your free five-week Bible study and your weekly email updates. Also, I'd love for you to join me on social media at Live Through Jesus. Thanks, and have a good day, and a great Thanksgiving weekend.